Please listen carefully. And now, live from the Arboretum in McKinney, Texas, it's the Assuming Positions Podcast, featuring two droids that someone's probably looking for, Kevin and Mikey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Assuming Positions Podcast. Kevin over here. And Mikey over here. And today on the podcast, we are wrapping up our Mandalorian feelings, thoughts. Our Mandalorian recap, yes. So uh, we did a midpoint one a few weeks back where we did the first four episodes. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to talk about the last four episodes. You've had plenty of time to watch all this stuff. So uh, we're not even going to say spoiler alert for anything. So It's been at least a week since the season finale. So if you haven't caught up by now, that's on you. Yes. So... By popular request, here we go. We got some messages on social saying, where is it? And (laughs) we wanted to put our Christmas episode out. We had a Christmas special to put out. Yeah, go back Um, and check it out. It was a lot of fun. It was super fun. So Mandalorian, wow. This has become a cultural phenomenon, really. Mm -hmm. Um, More so than any of the sequel movies, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, this does seem to be taking top priority. Even when the when those sequel movies were coming out, I guess when The Force Awakens came out, there was probably this level of interest. But I don't know. This seems to be more so. I don't know if it's because everyone's stuck at home and so they have to <laughs> watch stuff. I don't know. It's just... It may be that, but I'm also going to chalk it up to it's Disney doing it right where they release it on a weekly basis because... You get to, like, it's something to look forward to. It's something that the, like, we were talking on our group chat every Friday. It's like, oh, it's a Mandalorian treat day. Have you caught up yet? You know, when are you caught up? Let me know so you can talk about it. It's the water cooler talk. It's all of it. Yeah, it's a, there's something different about this in general. I mean, part of it has to do with, it's just so well done. So, and we've said this before in the, uh, the first four episodes, we said it all with the season one, two. It's just so well done and they continue to do it. So where did we leave off? We left, we did the first four episodes or chapters, they call them. Yes. And we left off on the siege, which is where they went and he got the old band back together and they went into an imperial facility and they found buckets of Snokes and they (laughs) kind of got a lead on uh, what the Empire wanted with Grogu. Yes. Oh, by the way, his name's Grogu now, and we're going to say... <laughs> we, <laughs> that's next episode. Wait, no. Well, yeah, that's this uh, the first episode we're going to be talking about. Yes. So after that, th- this is where he figures out, hey, I'm headed off to this place where there's supposed to be a Jedi. The episode is called The Jedi. Dun, dun, dun. Chapter 13, written and directed by Dave Filoni himself. So you know you're in good hands, yep. In very good hands. This one starts off, I'm going to let you talk about how it starts off because you loved it so much. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. So the brief synopsis that you can read on the internet is episode five, chapter 13 is the Jedi. And it's where the Mandalorian and the child arrive at the city of Calodon on the planet Corvus, uh, where we find the population of living in the city magistrate of Morgan Elsbeth, who is sort of the town ruler, uh, sort of anime, bad madam character. Mm-hmm. But she also has a sidekick that's protecting her town by the name of Lang, who is Michael Bain, but we can get to that in a minute. But essentially, 
This is a this is the ultimate kung fu episode. This is where we have Jin Jarin and crew going to sort of take over a town that's been overrun by elite sort of imperial guards kind of stuff. But it is also our first instance where we get introduced to Ahsoka Tano. They've said her name once or twice so far in the episodes leading up to this, but this is her unveiling episode. We get to see Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, and then you really thought this was cool. You really liked how it was shot, the introduction of Ahsoka. Oh, it's perfect because, like, I do know I am aware of her character because of she's been in the Clone Wars and the Rebel Wars, but I am only the half fan that has kind of watched some of the cartoons, so I haven't watched all of them, but I am aware of her character. But this episode where she's, like, disappearing into the fog and then, like, you just see her lightsabers come out and she's hacking guys in half and then disappearing back into the fog. It's almost like horror movie sci-fi. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. It is. And it's almost like with Michael Bean being there, <laughs> it's it's almost like the fact that he was there, they're kind of going for this sci-fi horror feel to it. I don't know. It's just interesting. It's like, so appropriate for him to be there in this kind of episode. Absolutely. It's just, yeah. It's a little bit darker than our normal episodes. It's not just a side quest. It's a side quest that takes place in a forest with a whole bunch of fog. Like, what's going on? Yeah, it's a great introduction. Of course, Ahsoka is the creation of this Dave Filoni's baby girl in a lot of ways. I mean, George Lucas was there, so he, George Lucas gets plenty of credit too. But <laughs> the way it seems from things I've read and everything that really the Ahsoka character was really Dave Filoni's baby. So for him to write and direct this episode is more than appropriate. And you can't complain about how Ahsoka is treated in this episode because it's basically, it's how Ahsoka is not in foreign hands here. Oh, not at all. I guess what I'm saying. She's not in foreign hands. And I got to give props right now to Rosario Dawson because as much as I only know, like I'm only half familiar with Ahsoka Tano, Rosario Dawson killed it. She did all the dialogue, how I expected that character to do it. She was as like cool and chill, but also sort of badass and like don't take her for granted sort of character. It was perfect. Mm -hmm. Oh, she delivered for the live action part of it. So do we need, we as nerds, we need to probably address a little bit of the, Ashley Eckstein controversy yes. here where Ahsoka Tano, the animated character, was voiced the whole way through any all her appearances by Ashley Eckstein, who is well known in the Star Wars. She's very active in social media. She even started a she didn't like how there was so little geeky clothing and merch for females. So oh. she basically started the her own company okay. that makes that kind of stuff. She's a very kind of pillar of our community as far as geeks and nerds go. Gotcha. So when Rosario Dawson was cast in this, she was actually, because like we said before, people online will be like, oh, if we're going to do a live action version of X, this character should be played by Y. Mm -hmm. And Rosario Dawson, for whatever reason, came up a lot for Ahsoka Tano. I don't know if it's because she kind of resembles the animated character. There is I some guess. Yeah, there's some resemblance there. Yeah, so I think that's what people were going for. But even with that, a lot of people were upset that Ashley Eckstein herself wasn't playing the live action of Sokotano because she's cosplayed as her before. I got you. So I don't know why that decision was made. I didn't really research any of that um, <laughs> to see if it was addressed by Favreau or Filoni or anything. But 
For my money, Ashley Eckstein absolutely could have played Ahsoka Tano, but she's got too much of the, like, the blonde girl next door sweetheart vibe, you know? So for me, Ahsoka Tano as Rosario Dawson has that intimidation factor, and I guess that's part of it for me, but my hot take would be I don't think Ashley Eckstein could have brung that sort of ferociousness to it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the argument you make. Are you going for resemblance to the character, or are you going for the voice of the character. And uh, as such, I mean, because we already had Katie Sackhoff. She was the voice of Bo-Katan and is the live-action Bo-Katan. True. Uh, but that character model was based on her because of how she's... I mean, she was the female version of Starbuck. She's supposed to be this kick-butt female archetype you know so yeah she's been through battle battle star galactica she yeah it all yeah so but you're right i mean i think this is more of a looks thing versus capability thing Mm -hmm. i'm i'm of a it worked out so well and i can and it seems like ashley Eckstein isn't too upset about it so i think it was good not to tangent too deep but maybe we'll see ashley Eckstein in a sort of she gets a role in the Ahsoka spinoff that we talked about in our previous episode about the Investor's Day of Star Wars. There's an Ahsoka spinoff TV series. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe she gets a bit part in that, which would be just as great. Yeah, that would be terrific, actually. That would be great. That's a good thought. Send that in to Filoni and Favreau right now, Mikey. I'm putting it out in the ether. It's yeah. going to happen. Let's see how it goes. Get that done. <laughs> um, but basically, not to bog down too much on this episode, though, it was a huge episode because we found out that the child actually had a name. Yes. Uh, yeah, the long and the short of it is is that the Mando shows up there looking for this Jedi, finds out that the Jedi has been terrorizing this town, and this magistrate lady has a spear of Beskar steel that she offers in exchange for basically the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Because he's a bounty hunter. Uh, He reveals himself as a bounty hunter to get into the town. So she's like, hey, I got a bounty for you. And here's Beskar Steel. And he's like, okay, that's mine. We need to do this. (laughs) Uh, But he's basically using it to get information because he he just wants to find out where she is. He doesn't really care about that. His grand arc mission is he still has baby Grogu, which we learn his name in this episode, but... His only mission right now is to find a Jedi that can train baby Grogu. Yeah. So he finds Ahsoka. They have that fun little, I call it the comic book when two good guys fight thing. (laughs) And then they're like, hey, wait, no, wait, we're not supposed to fight. I'm here for another reason. (laughs) Um, Your mother's name is Martha? My mother's name is Martha. Oh, wait, no, that's a different series. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, so many wars would be averted if two of the leaders had the same name, <laughs> and for mom, their mom or whatever. Yeah, that's that's me. Anyway, so the fun part was is like we've said a bunch of times. This is where Ahsoka goes and talks to the child, and then we find out that his name is Grogu. Mm-hmm. And there's the very cute, wholesome, sweet part where anytime Mando says Grogu, the baby's like, "That's my name." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. And she tests him with like pulling a rock and all that kind of stuff. But basically, she's like, okay. She says she cannot train him because here's my question to you. Do you think, maybe this is just me reading into this episode too much, but it seems like there was a lot of silent dialogue between Ahsoka and Grogu. There was. Jedi mind meld that was never explained. Like, 
They know more right. about each other than either of them said out loud. This is true. Uh, so, like, the, the tangents that can go on is is ridiculous, but eventually she accepts a responsibility that she's not the one to train to train Grogu, so obviously we got to lead that to somewhere else, but we get more bonding between Jinjarin and Grogu himself. Like, it's the father-son bond. It's what everybody was expecting for season two. Yeah, and she agrees to help out if we can uh, liberate Caladan. So we get the awesome, the whole big fight and everything in Caladan, mm-hmm. which create the Michael Bean and Mando in the middle of the town. Oh, it's just so Western, right? Oh, it's in super In the middle Western. of the dusty streets. And we even get like close-ups of the hands near the guns and everything. It's just you can almost hear the good, bad, and the ugly whistle. <laughs> And at the same time, we have a typical anime fight going on between the Madam and Ahsoka. Like, right? Oh, it's lightsabers versus Beskar spear, and neither one of them is superior. It was such a great fight scene. Yeah, it was a great fight scene. And Michael being there with his uh, very rarely seen shotgun blaster shotgun. Isn't shotgun that an, blaster? Isn't that an Easter egg, though? Our friend Scotty is- was talking about that. Yeah, it is an Easter egg. The shotgun that he uses is his shotgun he used in multiple previous movies, I guess. It's a certain brand of shotgun. I forget (laughs) what kind of brand of shotgun it is, but he's used it in multiple movies. And they just took the same one and stuck the scopes and stuff that they do to make it Star Wars-y on it. Oh, that's so Uh, fun, though. Yeah. But, of course, she tells him, hey, I can't. After they liberate the town, you know, the heroes are liberate the town. She's like, I can't train him. She doesn't really give a reason, but part of it is that she left the Jedi Order. She doesn't see herself as a Jedi anymore. Okay. Which is why she has the clear lightsabers. And then also, she's got another mission. She's looking for Thrawn, which probably means she's looking for Ezra, because this is stuff from Rebels, basically. Because Ezra and Thrawn disappeared with some space whales into hyperspace and... <laughs> And um, Ahsoka and Sabine, the Mandalorian, went looking for them is how we left off. So she's still looking for Thrawn, which makes me think that she's still looking for Ezra, which means Ezra might still be out there. And because we know that Disney announced all these things through Investor Day, this is just lead into probably what the Ahsoka TV series, the standalone spinoff is, is going to lead into. Right. I'm, I'm fascinated by all those sort of tangents. So it's cool that they're creating a whole new show just to explore those. Yep. So she tells him where he can go. She tells him that there is a special place where Grogu can go to, where he can basically is an old temple where he can commune with the force Yep. and it'll help him decide his future path. So, she tells him where this is, Tython, and <laughs> off Mando goes. And that's what the next episode is, them going off to Tython. The episode is chapter 14 called The Tragedy. And when I saw it was called The Tragedy, I immediately was like, oh, no. <laughs> What's going to happen? Yeah. And this one was written by John Favreau and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez, a hometown hero. Yes, a tangent. Have you seen Robert Rodriguez playing the guitar? While Grogu dances. It's the best because Grogu's <laughs> sitting there headbanging. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. That's so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Robert Rodriguez is another man of the hat. Dave Filoni has his hats that he wears, and Robert Rodriguez has his hats that he wears. He wears those kind of like Alpine German climber hats. 
<laughs> it's true. Yeah, you can yeah. you can recognize them by their hats. Absolutely. <laughs> so, man, this episode was awesome, and it was also tough because indeed there was tragedy involved. But but we do start off with the cool scene where like it starts off with I I love this. This is just I I think they've made memes about it, but we get the start off scene where. Mando lands his razor crest and he says, oh, we got to make the rest of the trip with the windows down, which means, oh, we get to smash cut to the Mandalorian jetpacking around with Grogu just in his arm, like flying through space to this Jedi temple. It's crazy. I love yeah. everything. Rocketeering it over there to yeah. the temple. Oh, it's absolutely Rocketeer. It's great. Yeah. But we do get Mando delivering Grogu to the Jedi Stone, this little temple on Tython, which if you go back in Star Wars lore, there's Tython ties into Hoth and the Imperial Death Star plans. Like, this is just a name from history, so it's cool that they're bringing Tython and this little ancient temple back. But yeah, that's the main stage of, of, of our platform this episode, and Grogu gets put on top of it, and he starts to activate this sort of Jedi force field and goes crazy. Yeah, and then of course we get very exciting for me because I've been a, fan, a Boba Fett fan all the time all, for a long time, and I have lots. I'm looking right now at lots of Boba Fett action figures. <laughs> I, I see there's three in front of me right now, but we get to see Slave One fly in, and it's like, uh oh, Boba Fett's here. Yes, and of course the Mando's like, uh oh, somebody's here. I better go. He's like, hang tight, kid. And, <laughs> and then there's Boba Fett showing up, and he's like, hey, I I want the armor. And Mando's like, you're not getting this armor. You're going to have to peel off my dead body. He's like, no, I want my armor. I don't want your armor. <laughs> and he followed him all that way from that first episode we saw where Mando got a hold of Boba Fett's armor. Even and we see Boba Fett looking over, right? It's true. Yes, you're correct. But I do have to give a shout out to our buddy, that guy, Brad. He did call it even before that. There was an episode in season one where we see Fennec sort of just, we think she's dead in the desert. But then mm -hmm. this mysterious figure comes and helps her, and that guy Brad called it in season one. He said, that looks like Boba Fett's hand. It was like, we're, we were all making fun of him. Like, <laughs> no, you're wrong. Whatever, Boba Fett can show up. But uh, this is retribution. Boba Fett was the one to rescue her, and he comes back in Slave One as Boba Fett with Fennec in, in tow. It's crazy. Yeah, and now she's all cyborged out, too. Yeah, she's got a weird, like, robot stomach. It's wonderful. Yeah. So they have this fun little standoff encounter, but before it can get too hot, the Empire shows up. Because there's some tracking device that they hinted at like three or two episodes ago, maybe? Right, but right. It was back on um, Navarro. That's um, right. One of the technicians who fixed up the ship after it had been underwater and fixed up by the Mon Calamari guy. That's right. Um, he had put a tracker on it. So, yep, here they are. Showing up, and man, Robert Rodriguez had fun with the action in this one because that was great. He's introducing back in the mortar troopers and yes! one of those machine cannons, and uh, man, it was great. There was just so much action, and uh, it was great. This was this was him playing with his old Star Wars action figures, is how it came across. It was like yes. Robert Rodriguez in his bedroom is like a ten year old being like pew pew pew. <laughs> but it was cool to see all those stormtroopers like you think of them as just like sort of blaster shooters and they can't shoot but they had like you're saying they had the mortar soldiers and like mm -hmm. they had strategy and they're coming out of their ships it was so cool but even cooler was the fact that fennec and boba just took over be like we can handle this not a problem 
Yeah. And Boba Fett sneaking around with his gaffy stick he got from the sand people. Oh, just that's, ugh. that's old Kung Fu right there. Just pow, pow. It was great. And then there's the the first tragedy that happens is that the beloved Razor Crest gets blown up. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I was like, no. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, Boba Fett's armor. And, and But then they, they did the good point. Robert Rodriguez is a great director. You know, they made a point that they showed before it blew up. They showed Boba Fett looking at the Razor Crest and he could see through the open door. His armor was there. Yes. And I'm like, no, nah, he got his armor. I know he got his armor. <laughs> and then that that climactic scene where he just flies down fully suited and you're like, Boba Fett is back. And he's shooting yes. knee rockets. He's no sight. He's yeah. no scoping uh, stormtroopers on his left. Like he's just going nuts. It's ridiculous. It's great. Yeah. He uses, a, he uses rocket that was taken out of the original action figure because it was too dangerous to make kids' eyes get poked out. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, wait. No, I didn't know that was part of the original action figure. That's great. It was never released. I think there are maybe a, there are a, <laughs> there's a handful of prototype Boba Fett action figures from the 70s that or eight, early 80s, whenever, that could shoot the rocket pack out of his backpack. Yes. But it was never released to the public. And this, uh, Steve Sansweet has one of them, of course, because he has the biggest Star Wars collection ever. Uh, <laughs> and they're worth a lot of money. So, yeah, that was, a f- that was a fun line, too, when Boba Fett shoots his the rocket at the uh, Stormtrooper transport ships. Oh, yeah, the escaping and, Imperial and it, ships. It, yeah, and yeah. It, and it, hit, it hits one and crashes into the other one. And Amanda's like, nice shot. And he was like, I was aiming at the other one. <laughs> Here's the, here's the silly part about that that I didn't know until I went on the internet, but uh, the internet let me know that that's a reference to the Magnificent Seven. Like, apparently... Oh, really? Yeah. No, for real. Like, so there's this sharpshooter that's one of the members of Magnificent Seven, and he takes out two guys at once, and they, they crash into each other. And one of the other guys is like, that's the greatest shot I've ever seen. And he was like, I was aiming for the horse. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a reference to that same thing. He's like, I guess it's a good shot, but I was aiming for the other guy. So that is that's great, man. And hey, I've, I just found this out in researching this. I didn't even know it at the time I watched it. So we get a scene where Boba Fett is showing Mando the provenance, I guess we'd call it provenance okay. of, of his armor. Remember, he's got a little hologram thing and has all these letters and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, See, this code, was my yeah. this was my father's armor. So apparently that's written in the Mandalorian script and people know how to read it. <laughs> Nerds. And there's things there's things in there that are legible to people. OK, so it literally says in it, it says Django Fett. It says that Django Fett is a foundling in there. Oh, um, it says conquered dawn which is the planet that Jango Fett's supposed to be from. And then it says something about Jango Fett's mentor. And I forget what the name is. The name is written in there, but it says mentor and then some kind of Star Wars name. And this is the only mention of it that this has ever existed. So it looks like they might be putting more stuff in for the future. And also making, maybe possibly making canon that Jango Fett is, if he, if they're saying he's a foundling, that means he's... Almost a legit Mandalorian as much as Jin Jarn is. Yes, they fixed something that George Lucas made a mistake about. And I'm going to say he made a mistake. I know <laughs> as much as I love everything he's done and, all, you know, and even people get on about the prequels and stuff. But there's some things that, you know, as a creator, <laughs> you're not you're not thinking about uh, when you say it or when you put it in there. 
And basically, he said at, a, at some point that Jango Fett's not a Mandalorian, which didn't make any sense to anybody. So suddenly that makes Boba Fett not a Mandalorian. So what's going on here? Why did they have Mandalorian armor? Yep. It was all confusing. It didn't make a lot of sense. Even in the Clone Wars, they mentioned Jango Fett to the Mandalorians themselves. And he's like, I don't know where he got that armor. He's not a Mandalorian. So it was all very confusing. And people thought it would was cool to think that all of the clone troopers were cloned off of a Mandalorian. So that's why they were so awesome mm-hmm. and all these things. But that kind of got washed away and it was kind of confusing. But what they've done here is they've invented the foundling thing where Mandalorians are bound. If they find a child, they have to return the child to its people, its parents, yeah. its people, whatever. Mm-hmm. And if, if, that, if that's not the case which happens a lot because they're a warrior class and they're fighting in battle so much, they find orphans, war orphans, basically. Mm -hmm. And if there's a war orphan, they have to adopt them and raise them up as their own. That's the Mandalorian, part of the Mandalorian creed. And these ones who are adopted and raised are called foundlings. So technically, they're Mandalorians by adoption. So a true blood Mandalorian might say that person's not a Mandalorian if they are prejudiced against that. So... That makes what was said in the Clone Wars okay, because I think it was probably said by one of the Vizslas, who are very kind of Mando first type peoples. A little bit more so, orthodox, yeah. Yes, and so then they tied it in to be like Jin Jaren and Jango Fett are basically the same kind of Mandalorian. So what we've done here is the show is called The Mandalorian. Jin Jaren's seen as a Mandalorian. So... Ipso facto, now Jango Fett is a Mandalorian, which makes Boba Fett a Mandalorian as well. Absolutely. Even though they don't follow this specific creed or whatever. Yeah, Boba Fett says I hold no loyalty to anything, so technically he's not a Mandalorian (laughs) because he doesn't follow the creed. Because remember how it was established last year, the Mandalorian is not a race, it's a creed. Yes. Said by Apollo Creed himself. Uh, but <laughs> but it, it makes me really happy that they cleared all this up because it was confusing and didn't make any sense. And now we know that Boba Fett's armor is Beskar steel. Yes. So that's super cool. And so I guess Boba Fett is as much a Mandalorian as Ahsoka is a Jedi. They both kind of have disowned the uh, creed or, you know, whatever uh, of that order. Yes. But this is going to be our transition into the next episode. But... I do find it interesting when we have the interaction between Boba Fett and Bo-Katan in Episode 7, Chapter 15, The Believer. They meet up again, and Bo-Katan tells Boba Fett, like, I've heard your voice a thousand times. You are a clone. Like, you are one of a million, and she can't believe it. Like, she doesn't trust him, but we know Boba Fett. Like, he's the legend. He's the coolest character in Star Wars. Yeah. Before we get to that, though, the real tragedy is that Grogu gets kidnapped by a bunch of dark troopers. Oh, yes. Moff Gideon and all that. Yes. Uh, the dark troopers that we talked about that are from the old video game, the old Dark Forces video game. They're the exact same thing. I remember having to fight those in an FPS game myself. <laughs> so I know how tough they are. Yep. And poor Grogu can't do anything because he got so tired from communing with the force and sending a force beacon out. Yep, in his special Jedi laser. And uh, that was, you're like, no! (laughs) Grogu, come uh, back! uh, The fact that they have little Grogu-shaped handcuffs is hilarious to me. But yes, he does get captured, and it's just, it's the twist for the next episode. It's crazy. Like, what's going to happen? They got to go get him back. 
So the next episode is probably my favorite episode because it has one of our favoritest people in it. Yes. It's called The Believer. And it's kind of funny. I think it was at the end of the last... It's the end of the episode before this that he goes to Cara Dune. Yes. And is like, hey, man, I need somebody's help. And she's like, who? And he's like, I need help from Space Boston. <laughs> Space Boston, Migs Mayfield. Mayfield, sorry. Yes, yeah, Migs Mayfield. And, and he's like, I need to bust them out. And she's like, hey, I'm a Republic Marshal now. So she actually did take that badge. She took that badge that was left for her, put it on, and now she's a Republic Marshal. That is cool because, like, on our, our midpoint wrap-up, we saw her, like, she was offered the little badge decal uh, medallion whatever but we yeah. wasn't sure what she was going to do with it yeah but now we get confirmation oh it's great so she put on the badge so she's a republic marshal and she's like hey man this is a new job i can't mess this up and then i i just love this scene because he's like they got the kid and she's like okay i'm doing whatever i can that seems to be the whole premise for this season, though. Like, everybody loves the little green guy, as Bill Burr would call him. But, <laughs> like, if something, if the little green guy is in trouble, then everybody's going to band together and rescue him. I love it. That's great. Yeah, it is great. So, this whole episode is about, hey, let's go bust out uh, Migs Mayfield. Yes. Mayfeld. Mayfeld. It looks like it should say Mayfield, but there's no I in there. It should, but... The fact that they gave him the name Migs, I mean, that's Space Boston confirmed 100%. <laughs> so, let's see. who This was written and directed by Rick Fumayua. Who did the last episode uh, with Bill Burr where they did exactly. the heist. Yes. Now, the brilliance of this is that he just said, this character is Bill Burr. <laughs> Mikey and I are big fans of Bill Burr's podcast. His stand-up. Mikey and I have actually been to see Bill Burr live yep. do stand-up before. Mm-hmm. And he has a certain way about him. And <laughs> obviously, they're not making him... Sometimes this is the brilliance of casting. We've talked about this so many times before with like Parks and Rec and stuff, where basically all the characters in there are those actors turned up to 11. So sometimes, yes, you need an actor who can has such range or can be a chameleon who can do all kinds of different things and stuff. But sometimes you just need to be like, hey, man, this guy's like this, so <laughs> let's get that guy. Or this character's going to be like this because it is that guy. And that's absolutely Bill Burr. I mean, I don't know if the people writing this episode are fans of his podcast, but they fit his personality perfectly into the Star Wars universe. Like, uh, just him being in the chop shop on uh, Carthon, where they go rescue him, and Cara Dune sort of gets him on reprieve. But even even then, like he's he's approaching the droids, like, what did I do wrong? I, like I'm doing my job. Like, what do you want from me? Oh, I can go now. Are you sure I can go? Okay, I'm gonna do this now. It's that's that's Bill Burr to a T. It's so good, and the interactions between Migs and Cardoon are so. I just love it. I love every minute of it. I just <laughs> it's so good that the. the these off lines, like, you know, where, where he's like, like this little ray of sunshine over here. That's just the, the New England sarcasm that's in there. It's so perfect. Oh, my gosh. I want to know what this planet he comes from is. I, as you know, I just. <laughs> it's Space Boston. That's it. That's all you need to know. If you know, good. if you know Boston, you know Space yeah. Boston. It's easy. Great sports. <laughs> <laughs> But also, like, they're talking about Rhydonium, which is one of the main cruxes of this episode. But they're talking about Rhydonium, and they say it's highly volatile and extremely explosive. And Bill Burr's like, oh, you like 
You, you mean like Cara Dune over here? Like <laughs> that's that's perfect, Bill Burr. That's like couldn't have written it better, and yet that's in the episode. Oh, it's perfect. So the whole reason that Mando wants Megs is because he needs to find out where um, Moff Gideon is because yes. he needs to find where the kid is. So the only way to do that is to get into an Imperial system, and the only Imperial contact he has is Miggs, because Miggs was the Imperial sharpshooter. So they need an actual, like, internal console on the Imperial ship. Like, they can't just access it from remote. They got to be on situation. So Yeah, yeah, which is what Miggs tells them. We need to get me to uh, an Imperial facility that's hooked up to the system so mm-hmm. I can do it. And he goes, well, where would that be? And he goes, oh, I know about this one over here where there's a mine. Uh, <laughs> or, and they're like, okay, so let's go to that one. So that's where they go. And it's a, what, a Rhydonium mine? Is that what this stuff's called? Yep, Rhydonium. And, man, Bill Burr makes this episode great, but it's also just a fun mission episode. They got a mission to do. It's kind of a the heist in a lot of ways. And also, this is where, you know, you get Bill Burr. They give him the questions that everyone's been asking. They put them in Bill <laughs> Burr's mouth. Yes. Like, what's with the helmet thing? Do you did the... Does, can you just not, is it that you can't take it off or you can't show your face? Because those are two different things. Because you just took it off. You're not wearing it right now. You're dressed in st- uh, Stormtrooper armor. So, yeah, so is, is, it? is it the helmet or is it Mandalore? Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And then he kind of, he's kind of like, he goes, I know what it is. It's the little green guy. It's like, he goes, so, you know, <laughs> he's basically trying to tell him that, hey, given the situation, people kind of change their beliefs and morals. Absolutely. Um, to based on what's happening. And it's kind of interesting because it's kind of a defense of people who are in the empire and a defense of himself. Okay. As I see it by him saying like, Hey, just cause I'm in the empire didn't mean I'm evil because X, Y, Z is just, kind of, <laughs> that's, that's what I, that's what I took from it. No, I got you. And also like we have Bill Burr, who's now kind of has, has been in prison, has been, been doing his time and he's now reformed. So he's, he's helping out for the good guys, I guess, quote unquote, but we get the Rhydonium mines. We get him sort of, it's this car chase almost with pirates intercepting the Rhydonium mines and Jinjarin gets his little Mad Max Fury Road aspect action scene on where he takes yeah. out all the pirates while Bill Burr is driving at him and yelling at him in space box. And he's like, really? You're going to fire these blasters around Rhydonium? Like, we got to get to the base. I know. Just all the Bill Burr yelling. It was great. <laughs> I loved every minute of it. But the, the big news of this one was, well, you get the turn where... There's so there's so much there's so much in this episode of they get to the facility. Apparently, a lot of the Rhydonium shipments don't make it through, so everyone's super happy. So you get kind of a uh, from the opposite side. We're used to seeing like rebels celebrating that something good happened. Now we get to the Empire celebrating something good happened. It's very much like when Luke gets out of the X-wing after blowing up the Death Star type thing, yeah, but yeah. flipped. Mm-hmm. And the the console they need to go to is in basically the officer's lounge. (laughs) And as soon as Miggs steps in there, he turns right back around. He's like, "Uh, my old commander's in there. And, you know, I don't know if he recognizes me or not. Yeah. So I can't. He's got to back out right there. It's it's over. So the Mando's like, okay, I'll do it then. He's like, you can't do it without showing your face. And he's like, just give me the code cylinder and I'll do it. So he goes in there. And he does. He takes his helmet off. He tries to do it with his helmet on, like a dummy first. Um, <laughs> but then he takes his helmet off, 
And here's the thing. So here's this is we're a nerdy podcast, and we're not just recapping this. Give it. We're going to gonna get into the nitty gritty stuff. Yes. So a lot of people had a lot of problems with this scene because at first they're like Cara Dune was with them, Boba Fett was with them, Fennec was with them, and all of them were like, "We can't show our face to an Imperial." thing it'll recognize us yeah they had the whole scene where they're like no i'm out no i'm out no i'm out i'm i'm on the wanted list so it's got to be you two yeah right so the thing was is that people were like how did his face unlock it if he's never shown his face before and you have to realize that how the empire works so people were thinking that oh you show your face and it looks at imperial records and be like this person is an imperial okay he can open it yeah right Mm mm-hmm that's how good guys do security. The Empire is bad guys. How bad guys do security is, is this person wanted? They want to basically, is this person wanted? <laughs> then he's here right now and let's arrest him. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It'll set off alarms. But if it looks at you and go, is this person wanted? No. Okay, whatever. Proceed. Because the code cylinder that the officers wear, that's the actual key. That's the thing that lets them know that because that's the thing that they stick in there. That's the thing R2D2, he has that little fake code cylinder he sticks in there to yeah, hack yeah, with. Yeah. He's hacking it. That's the thing that actually gives you access. The face thing, you know what the face thing is? It's a capture. To make sure you aren't showing up in the system, be like, we know you are ready and you're a bad guy, so you're eliminated kind of stuff. No, it's the REO robot, a capture. It's like which two which, which <laughs> Which of these are buses? Oh, there Which you go. Yeah. Are Which of these lights? are crosswalks? Okay. It's just making sure you're not someone you're not supposed to. Basically, so that, what does a capture do? I am not a robot, right? I'm a human. Yes. That's all it's doing. Are you a human? Because guess what? The Empire loves humans. They're racist. There you go. But and it, then, are you a human that's wanted by us? <laughs> no? Okay. Then guess what? So they're actually not keeping a record of everyone who works for the Empire. They're keeping a rec- record of everyone who's against the Empire. Oh, that's true. Okay, I got you. I'm telling you right now, now that they have scanned Mando's face and the facility blew up and he accessed information he shouldn't have, now he can't show his face <laughs> in one of those machines and it'll work. He got one pass at it and that was it. But yeah. we're also sort of glossing over the fact this is the first time we get to see Pedro Pascal's face. I mean, like, yeah. Bill Burr wore him down with his political abstracts, like... He was having his rambling while they were driving, which is in typical Bill Burr fashion. It's like, hey, I'm going to mm-hmm. talk to you about random stuff while we're driving. And it got to Pedro Pascal, and now he's at the terminal, and he's willing to take his helmet off. That's like, it's crazy. We get to see old brown eyes. Yeah, brown eyes, which because he gets cornered by the former commanding officer who doesn't recognize Bill Burr. He doesn't, uh, yep. And next thing you know, he's having drinks with them because they're the ones who got the Rhydonium shipment through. And... He's, it's so funny because he's like this country redneck imperial. You know, we're used to seeing imperial officers being like old British and stodgy and stuff, you know? I thought they were all the old British bad guys. Absolutely. But to see a redneck hick, like, uh, I think it's Richard Drake who plays this part, so shout out to him. But this is the first sort of, like, good old boy redneck, like, we're doing what's good for the country, boy. You better get along. Like, that's amazing. I love it. And you notice it also goes to show because people forget this is the empire has has fallen. The empire's in shambles. Oh, that's true. They're, so what you're left with is like all of those core world officers with their haughty voices and accents and stuff. They're gone. They're done. No, that's so true. So all you're left with is these like 
backwater guys. <laughs> <laughs> but then Bill Burr, in typical Bill Burr fashion, uh, ups the ante and decides to change the situation and shoots that officer in the middle of the cafeteria. Like, just yeah. takes him out. Oh. He, he Han Solo's it. He does? Oh, that's true. Okay, yes. Yeah, he just can't stand it anymore. He can't, because they're talking about Operation Cinder, which we found all about in the uh, campaign of um, Battlefront. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That's the operation where they took out all the planets or something like yeah, that? They basically took out all the loyal planets. It was It's, it's based on an actual World War II order that the Nazis did where they were basically to destroy all their cities. Sort of a scorched earth policy. Okay. Yeah. It was a scorched earth policy. So that's where it was drawn. So a lot of people that didn't make any sense to them, it's not supposed to make any sense. It's kind of hearkening from our own history to something that for star Wars, because I mean, come on the empire, they're space Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) They are space Nazis and they should fall. But I, my two cents is that I think this is the most political, like upfront that star Wars has gotten and having bill Burr do it. Like is just the, the, the icing on the cake. Like they get really political and it, it turns into an action scene, which is fun, but it's just cool to see that Dave Filoni is tackling those sort of aspects. I don't know. Yeah. So they got the information, they get out, Miggs gets his freedom and Hey man, that was a great episode. But also, Bill Burr gets the, as the sharpshooter, he does get that last last final shot, and I'm glad they give Bill Burr the sort of uh, capitulation for the episode. Be like, we're going to blow this facility up because I'm Space Boston and you can't mess with us. I love it. Yeah, that was a great episode. But then this leads to the final episode, Chapter 16, The Rescue the episode that everyone talked about is everyone's going crazy over. There's so much here. <laughs> yes. Let's get into it. Let's get into some of the points we like. But basically, the long and the short of this is them finding where Moff Gideon is and rescuing him, bringing the almost the whole crew back together, going to get Bo-Katan to help out because yep. he needs he needs the support and he knows that she was looking for him anyway. So that's where we get that fight you were talking about earlier where Boba Fett shows up and they immediately start fighting. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. That was at the beginning of this episode. And they all head off in the Slave One to go and rescue Grogu. This episode, let's see, this episode was written by Jon Favreau and directed by Peyton Reed. One of the names in the crew, but one of one of the great crew so far. But one of the, the things that stick in my mind for the opening of this episode is they do the old school sort of, I don't know if it's crime heist movie, but they, they set up a plan to be the decoy. They have Slave One chasing the Imperial ship that they've taken over, and they're just sort of going to create a sort of decoy, like, oh, we're in trouble, but not. We need to get on your ship, and we're going to trick everybody, but we're going to crash land our ship right onto your Imperial base. It's great. Yeah, that Lambda shuttle, the Imperial shuttle, um, had Dr. Pershing on it, who was that doctor from the first series who was taking the blood out of Grogu. Now, now, he, like, I, I've seen on the internet a little bit. I haven't done a deep dive, but Dr. Pershing is essentially, like, the main person in charge of clones? Like, is that what it is? 
I don't know much about him myself, actually. But okay. but um, we we know he's using Grogu blood to make like weird bodies and capsules and maybe some sort of dark trooper stuff. But I think this all leads into them resurrecting the Emperor from what was in the last movies. Oh, is that Palpatine? Think, yeah, Palpatine. Okay. Yeah, I think this is all part of that plan. You know, the trying to clone the Emperor back. Oh, okay. Um, so. But I think that what it is is that the Emperor is so powerful in the Force that when they tried to clone him directly, it wasn't working. So they needed, like, basically high midichlorian count blood <laughs> to make it work. And I think that's why you're getting Snokes. And I think that's where Snoke came from. Okay. And then I think this all leads into the sequels. I think. That's my thought. But there was one cool part about this. When they got Dr. Pershing in that shuttle... Yes. And Car- and Cara Dune's there. And so the the pilot member, he's like, hey, man, he grabs Dr. Pershing. He's like, hey, you can't have him. Mm-hmm. He puts a gun to his head. And then he has this interaction with Cara Dune. And we find out that her little tattoo is called an Alderanian tear. I thought it was a birthmark. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an Alderanian tear, which basically marks her as someone who is an Alderanian you know, who obviously survived. Yeah, at, uh, at this yeah. point in time, her planet has been blown up. Yep. Yeah, and has given her all kinds of, like, the guy's like, I was there. I saw Alderaan blow up. I was on the Death Star. And, and she just shoots him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how, like, it, and they do, it burns Pershing's ear and everything because it was so close. I mean, it's, ah. And Mando's kind of like, okay, well... <laughs> But it also it also pays homage to the Kevin Smith sort of clerks idea that like also a bunch of people on the Death Star died. Like we're talking about the Death Star blowing up and all the contractors and plumbers and all the crazy guys on there. Like they were just working and they got blown up, too. So, like, who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? I mean, we we both lost people on the on either side. But the fact that Dr. Pershing is being held hostage by a space Nazi means that space Nazis have to go down. Yeah, and like you said, we get the whole Trojan horse shuttle theme Mm -hmm. going on there where they just totally disregard what they're being asked for and run run the shuttle right down the throat of the cruiser into the where the TIE fighters are launching from. That was, there's a lot of cool action. This is action upon action upon action. And I'm only a casual nerd, but it seems like a lot of the Stormtrooper lines they used in that scene and all the screams and stuff come from, like, the original trilogy or at least the prequel trilogy where they're just like, oh, they're, we're, we're throwing back to old lines. Oh, it's it's a great oh. sequence altogether. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's a great scene where the shuttle doors open up and here come all the, it was all the ladies. <laughs> oh, uh, it was Ming-Na Wen and Kara, uh Gina Carano as Cara Dune, like mm-hmm. they make the best, the best female duo. I would, I would have, I would have them behind me in a firefight any day of the week. Yep, you had you had Cara Dune, you had Fennec, and you had Bo Katan and her. I I don't have the name in front of me. Her other Mandalorian, mm-hmm. who's also a female too. So you got the four ladies coming out there, just wreaking havoc and <laughs> running through, and then the Mando's holding back. And, uh, of course, Boba Fett was just a distraction. So he eventually just like, see you later. (laughs) And also the stormtroopers living up to their name that they can't hit anything within a five-foot radius. It's hilarious. No. Man, uh, so there is a couple things about this. One thing people have problems with is that the shuttle, when it gets knocked out the first time with the ion 
uh, weapons, they say our comms are down, and then Boba Fett talks to them over comms, which doesn't make any sense. So uh, okay. maybe they sh- maybe they should have said long range comms are down. <laughs> So we can assume that he meant to say long range comms are down. So just let that one slide. And at one point, Cara Dune's gun, she says her gun jams. I don't know how a gun that shoots energy jams. That is a concern for me because like energy, energy guns jamming and also like, do they have a clip? Is there a magazine of like energy blast that they have allotted to them? That I think that I think that maybe yes. But here's the thing. John Favreau, I love you, but play freaking play freaking Battlefront. The thing that happens with those weapons in Battlefront, and you know this because you played it, is they overheat. Oh, that is it. Okay, so you have to degas them. So she should have just said, "Ah, I've overheated." Instead of "I'm jammed." Yeah, my gun is gassed. I got to take a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. She could have said something other than. So all I can say is this to everybody: jammed in Star Wars is means overheated. <laughs> They had to go to classic Hollywood, just like it's it's narrative armor, I guess, to be like, oh, the guns are out of commission for the next 10 seconds until we get to our next narrative point. Yeah, it kind of bugged me a little bit. But then I, I here's my, my rationalization is in Star Wars land, jammed is when in Battlefront your gun is overheated and you can't shoot it until you degas it. I believe it. I'm with you. <laughs> Forgiven. Um, so then we get Mando in there sneaking around trying to find Grogu. But first he gets interrupted by one of the things we talked about in our midpoint, one of the one of the things we were hinting at. We get our first experience with the Dark Trooper. Oh my gosh. That was like frightening. It was frightening. He couldn't do anything against that stupid thing. Oh, especially because they had that little like there's a little monologue sort of dialogue about the Dark Troopers and be like, oh, this is the third generation. We no longer need a human host in them. Now they're just pure battle droids that are programmed to kill. Like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. But it does make you think, like you said, does this have anything to do with what they're doing in Grogu too? Because if there used to be people in them, but there's not now, does that mean there's some like something people in them or some? I don't know. It's crazy. Are they being infused with force juice? We don't know. Yeah. Interesting. But anyway, yeah, he manages to keep them all from escaping by closing the, the doors. And the, but he barely defeats this one. He has to use his Beskar spear, right? Yep. We can't glance over that. I have to tangent right here because this is my favorite thing sort of in relation to Pedro Pascal. So we know Pedro Pascal as the Red Viper from Game of Thrones, right? Yes. And I think that Dave Filoni and crew knew about this and knew that we would know him from this because there's two scenes when he's fighting off with the Dark Trooper that are hilarious to me. One, the Dark Trooper continually punches him in the helmet, like trying to crush his head. Yeah. Yeah which, spoiler alert, happens in Game of Thrones, doesn't happen this time. So we know Pedro Pascal is a little bit safer, but we also know Pedro Pascal as the Red Viper is good with a bow staff. So you're going to give him a Beskar spear? Of course he's going to crush it. But the little detail in there that I find interesting is that it's the Beskar steel versus the Darksaber. This is where we we, we finally see that the Beskar spear starts to heat up like... It was it was fine against uh, lightsabers in a previous episode, but now we see it up against the dark saber, and you're like, "Holy crap! The dark saber is a pretty significant weapon because it's heating up even Beskar steel." Yeah, because it was made by a Mandalorian Jedi. Oh, even, oh, so so much lore in there. It's so great. <laughs> so many little details. Yeah. Um. So he defeats that one, and he jettisons all the other ones out into space. Yes. 
which seems very anticlimactic. But later on, we're like, <laughs> oh, that's why you did that. Because when that first happened, I was like, well, that's dumb. That was way too easy to way get rid of them that yeah. way. And I should have been like, hey, that was way too easy. <laughs> but anyway, Mando finds where Grogu is and he's under the blade of Moff Gideon. He has the Darksaber basically to Grogu's throat in a lot of ways. That's right. And it's, it's man, uh, I love Giancarlo Esposito so much in everything he does. Breaking Bad and now in here is just so... Uh, and now he's going to be in Far Cry, too. But anyway, uh, it's just... He makes uh, a perfect bad guy, yeah. He's so good. He's so good. I just love how he basically is like, hey, I'm done with the kid. You can have him. And you're like, no, don't trust him. No, <laughs> don't trust him. Then Mando is so... He just loses it for the kid, you know? He's just... He stops thinking straight. Oh, it's the best. And we didn't mention it in a previous episode, but they all, he also gives like a hologram message to Moff Gideon where Mando gets on the hologram and he's like, you may think you know what you're in possession of, but you have no idea. Like, I'm coming for my son and you're going to die. It's crazy. Yeah. So, of course, Gideon turns on him and they get into a fight, which, man, with what happens later, do you think Gideon was trying to lose the fight? Or was he trying to win it and just turned losing into his own way? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to I'm maybe, explain Maybe it. some of each column, but I'm with you because, like, it is a cool fight between Mando and Moff Gideon, especially with the Darksaber, but Moff Gideon definitely seems like the more intellect strategic type than he does, like, the the confrontation type, like... He's not going to go out in absolute battle, but if he does have to battle, he's going to make it work out in his favor, which he does in this episode because there's the whole, this is new to me with this Mandalorian series, but there's this whole like backstory between the Darksaber and winning it in Conquest, which Mando does. It's crazy. Well, it's new to everyone. Everyone's confused about it, and I think they're going to explain it later. We'll get into that <laughs> pretty much next. He he beats Gideon and gets the saber and then doesn't kill him and drags Gideon over to the bridge because all the ladies have managed to take over the ship. It's done. Because um, it's lady crew. You can't, you can't shut yeah. them down. They're too badass. No, they're awesome. So he shows up with Gideon, and he's like, here's this guy for you, Cara Dune, to do whatever you want with because he's an asset. And then, hey... Bo-Katan, here's your sword you wanted. Like, and he hands it to her, and Bo-Katan's like, uh, I don't know. And then Gideon's like, ha, 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 she can't take it. He twirls his mustache. You have to win it in combat. And he's like, okay, I yield. Here you go. Take this stupid thing. And then that confused everybody who'd ever watched Rebels because <laughs> Sabine said, hey, Bo-Katan, here's the saber. I don't want it. You're the leader of Mandalore. Have a nice day. And then Bo-Katan's like, great, awesome. I'm the leader of Mandalore. Yeah. And now she won't do it. So everyone's like, what is happening right now? So Bo-Katan is the original sort of holder of the Darksaber, and then Moff Gideon uh, steals it from her? Is that what? We don't know what happened. It goes way back. Okay. It goes way back. But one of the Vizlas from Clan Vizla, he was the one who made the ancient Darksaber. He was the first Jedi Mandalorian and... It was in House Vizsla, and it was seen as kind of if you possessed the House Vizsla ruled Mandalore, and mm -hmm. the saber was respected almost as like an uh, order of office in a lot of ways. And it was so powerful, too. It, you were able to rule over Mandalore if you possessed it because it was so powerful. Okay. Because uh, you saw what it does to Beskar, and regular lightsabers don't do anything to Beskar. And it was passed along. Then Darth Maul 
when he came back with his legs, his robot legs, <laughs> um, he won it in battle and then took over Mandalore as possessor of the saber. And he had it for the longest time. Then we didn't know what happened to it in the Clone Wars. This was in the Clone Wars series. And then in Rebels, Sabine Wren finds it with the Night Sisters, who are related to them all somehow. Okay. okay. Um, grabs it, trains with it. And then there's a whole Mandalorian series arc where she is possessing it. And people are kind of saying, hey, you're going to be the leader of Mandalore. And she's like, no, I don't want to be the leader of Mandalore. I have other things I need to do. I need to go find Ezra, all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. So he gives it to Bo-Katan and she holds it above her. Everyone's like, yay, leader of Mandalore. So the fact that she won't take it now, everyone's confused because she was given it before. Now, here's my theory. Lay it on me. My theory is, is that you are supposed to win it in combat. And Bo-Katan was not able to unite the Mandalorians under her because she was seen as a pretender to the throne because she didn't win it in combat. Ah, so okay. because she couldn't unite the Mandalorians when the Empire showed up to do the purge, they couldn't fight them off because they weren't united. I got you. That makes sense. So I think she doesn't want to make the same mistake she made before. And I think that's what's going to come out. I think. And we also have another twist is that there is a third party that shows up. Uh, I stole this from Nerdist.com, but they had the best tangent to this. There is a Deuce X-Wing Machina instead of Deuce X Machina. It's, <laughs> it's Deuce X-Wing Machina. And we have an X-Wing show up in the season finale. And we get to see a great sequence, a bad sequence. I don't know. Give us your take, Kevin. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, everyone I knew, if you didn't know, <laughs> It was obvious as soon as that green lightsaber lit up and I saw what that handle looked like, that this was Luke Skywalker's here. Yes, and Luke Skywalker. The, right before that, everyone was scared because the dark troopers had actually flew back to the ship, even though they've been jettisoned out to space. They can fly, so they flew back to the ship. Because and, they're droids, why not? Yep. Yeah, they're locked in the bridge and they're trying, they put the blast doors up and they're beating the blast doors down. And they're like, what are we going to do? This lady won't take the saber. I'm stuck in here. <laughs> the dark troopers are going to buy, and here comes the X-Wing. And then it's obvious that this is Luke Skywalker. So you're sitting there, and I'm sitting there waiting, and I'm like, oh, man, they're going to do it. It's going to be, they're going to, just like people on Rosario Dawson, yes. he's going to pull back his hood, and Sebastian Stan's going to be standing there. Oh, it'd be like, so amazing. Hey, man, check it out. I'm the new Luke, and now we're going to do a new series with Luke as me. But no, he pulls back his hood, and there is one of the characters from Polar Express, dead-eyed <laughs> looking at you. Look like freaking how the Tom Hanks looked in Polar Express, like they Mark Hamill in Polar Express. Oh. It was, I, it was, uh, I don't know. What do you think, Mikey? I thought it looked like... I'm with you 100%. I'm going to backtrack about 10 seconds because just in the fact that when Luke Skywalker shows up, it's such an homage to when they get, they did the Darth Vader hallway scene in Rogue One. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah. You get to see Luke Skywalker in a hooded cowl and he's doing force pushes and force pulls. Like he's just, he's kicking everybody's butt. Nobody yes. can stop him, which is how nope. Luke Skywalker should be. Yes. But then he takes the cowl off and it's like, uncanny valley luke skywalker like Ugh. we've seen deep fakes on instagram that are better than this we've seen <sighs> deep fakes on youtube that are way more <sighs> way more fun than this but they cyberpunk 2077 does on this one what did they do like how did they run out of budget in the last episode is that what it is it's ridiculous i mean if you can make michael douglas's old wrinkled face <laughs> Look like a young guy in those Ant-Man. I mean, seriously. I'm with you. 
the the mouth doesn't line up like it looks like you know who it is absolutely they nailed right, it sure like, you're like oh that's mark hamill's face but like you're saying they had sebastian stan they could have just sort of leveled it up or upgraded it or something but they went with the weird de-aging technology which i guess is our hot take between both of us is that doesn't really hold up in 2020 I don't know why it works so well in the Ant-Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. I don't I don't understand why it it worked really well in there. They yep. de-aged Michael Douglas and they de-aged Kurt Russell. They did great on both of I mean they did great on mm-hmm. both of them. It was didn't bump me at all. It just made me amazed. But this was like what's going on? It was <laughs> I mean he had to just stand there obviously like like they're like don't move Mark. Yeah. Don't, you cannot move at all. This is your and cue. Was, you got to stay there. Yeah. That was the worst part, too. You just saw him, like, kicking everyone's butt. He was moving around great. Now he can just stand there. I mean, how much more of an impact would it have been if he, like, crouched down and was like, hey, Grogu, come over. He's like, I'm, I'm a friendly Jedi. Yeah, yeah. I'm here to help you. But no, he just has to stand there because they can't do whatever they... Even, on, even based on lore, like, Luke Skywalker knows Yoda, so he knows the creature he's looking at, you know? So he would at least have a more comforting first impression to him, you know, like kneel down like you're saying, be like, oh, I know your master Yoda. Is he your brother? Like, let's be friends. But (laughs) no, it's just like you got to stand here so we can map your face and just don't move. Ridiculous. Now, a lot of people say that the sequence up until then was so awesome and the idea was so awesome that I'm going to give him a pass on that. Now, you heard me give multiple passes. You heard me give passes about the guy should have said long range comms, but he just said comms. <laughs> you give me passes about jammed means uh, my things overheated. Yes. See, I can I can get passes. I can't get past how that did not look good. It did not look good. I was let down. I really I do not know why. For however how much it cost that technology to do, could you not have just given that to Sebastian Stan and his agent or whoever whatever the holdup was? And just had him do it. I mean, I don't understand what the big deal is. I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. But we do get two cool things out of the scene for as much as there's Uncanny Valley and weird Luke Skywalker, which we're both against. But one, we get R2-D2 showing up again, who we know is the hero of the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy. Like R2 is the main, uh, uh, this is my hot take, R2 is the main hero of all Star Wars movies. So the fact that R2-D2 is there to take care of Grogu, you already know he's in good hands. But the interesting aspect of this is that even though it's weird-looking, deep-fakes Luke Skywalker, <laughs> is is Grogu his first student in his Jedi school? Like, is that what happens? I think that's what it is, yeah. And it's cool. Everything's cool about the story. If this was animated, if this was a comic book, whatever. <laughs> Awesome. The only thing that's bumping me is the technology that they used just wasn't wasn't up to par. And all these people talk about that they were crying and stuff. And man, I didn't shed a tear because I was sitting there going like, "Why'd you do it alone?" <laughs> He's so weird looking. Yes, I'm with you. The emotion of Grogu leaving his daddy and and his daddy taking his helmet off so he could touch his face. It was an emotional part. I could see why people would cry, mm-hmm. but I was so bumped by the way Luke looked. I couldn't. I get it. I get it. But otherwise, everything was awesome. (laughs) Oh, and you sort of mentioned it already, but so far we've only seen Pedro Pascal take off his helmet once, which was in the presence of Bill Burr, and props to Bill Burr for being Space Boston. When they finally finish the job, he hands him his helmet. He's like, I didn't see a face. I don't know what you look like. Yeah. So 
props to Bill Burr for that, but I was extremely touched for as much as deep fake Luke Skywalker took me out of it. He took off his helmet again. Like it shows that he's because as far as we know, he has the dark saber. He's the he's the leader of Mandalore for sake of argument right now. You it's know, true. and he's changing his sort of dogma, his religion. And he's saying this kid is more important to me than Mandalore. Like this is the way stuff. So he takes off his helmet and baby Yoda touches his face. Oh, I cried. Oh, it was so touching. Oh, you actually did cry. It was it was great. Like I know he's a puppet. I know he's you know there's a there's a hand in him that's controlling that. But that little clawed hand reaching up to touch Pedro Pascal's face, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Father son, great. Yeah, you well, you're not alone. I mean, Kevin Smith put a picture up of his like red eyed blubbering face. That's right hilarious. after you watched the episode. I saw that before I saw the episode, and I was like, oh no, what happened? Did oh, someone no. die? But. It was a great episode. It was a great season. And hopefully everyone stayed till the end credits because they put an end credit scene Marvel style. Oh, absolutely. This is at the this end is of it. the best one. Oh, yeah. Go get oh, into it. That was the best part. That was the best part. As much as I love this show, I'm sorry. They brought back one of my favorite characters ever and made him awesome again. By suddenly we're back at Jabba's palace and sitting on Jabba's throne is like a fat Bib Fortuna. And we're like, what's going on? And who shows up? But Boba Fett just wrecking house. Well, actually, Fennec showed up first. Yes. yes. And we're like, what's going on? And then Boba Fett's like, hey, how you doing? I'm here. <laughs> and Biff Fortuna's like, oh, I thought you were. Uh. And he's just like, yeah, you're dead now. And I'm going to sit on this throne. Dun, dun, dun. That picture, people have like already like, Made paintings of it and stuff. Yes. A picture of Boba Fett sitting there on the throne with Fennec with her drink and her gun on sitting on his the arm of the chair. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is the book of Boba Fett coming that, soon. This was a lead into their spinoff, which was not part of the announcements we made a couple episodes ago. But there now is a new show called The Book of Boba Fett, which is Boba Fett's reign. I mean, it's called The Book of Boba Fett. So do we go to chapters back in his old life or is this chapters in his new life as the head of the the Hutt, Hutt legacy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess by sitting on that throne, you've taken over the Hutt crime syndicate. It's crazy. <laughs> I've already seen like Crimson Dawn and all the, yes. the stuff that's in. That, that's been in the cartoons and was also in um, Solo. And we've been talking, I mean, George Lucas himself has been trying for the longest time to do an underworld thing. Oh, that's true. And I think this might be it. Here's my question, though. We saw Bib Fortuna in the end credit sequence, and he, he put on a whole bunch of weight. So does that mean the person that's on Jabba the Hutt's throne just automatically gets fat? Like, is that... <laughs> Is that part of the the part of the canon? It must be whatever whatever that is in those frogs. <laughs> it must be really fattening, or whatever that juice is. I know there's a specific word that that Fennec takes a swig from something, and I know that's a Star Wars term, but maybe it's that juice. Maybe. <laughs> hey, man, you're living living high on the hog, I guess. Oh, but to take that end sequence and make it so, hey, we're doing another spinoff, and you're gonna get more Boba Fett. It's great, but. That leaves us with a question. Where does Mando season three go? Like, Mando now has no Grogu. He doesn't have any Boba Fett, for argument's sake, because Boba Fett is now the new crime lord of Tatooine, right? Yep. So where does Mando season three go? Do you have any guesses? 
I have absolutely no idea, dude. I really didn't think that Grogu would be gone at the end of it. He's the secret star. The internet loves him. It's Baby Yoda. So I, I have, I have no idea. I don't know what the heck they're gonna do because, like you said, a lot of people called it the Baby Yoda show. A lot of people only watched it because they <laughs> wanted to see what was going on with Baby Yoda. Like, if he's not around anymore, what are they gonna do? Because I have to think that he's not gonna be around anymore. That's true. So uh, I don't know. The the fun news is that we have speculation. We know Ahsoka is going after Thrawn. Like that's the one she that's her enemy that she wants to go after. So that's the spinoff for her series. We know that Boba Fett now is the the emperor of 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 Hut's domain, so that's the book mm-hmm. of Boba Fett. So maybe season three of Mandalore is him and Bo Katan figuring out who's the new leader of Mandalore. You know what? I think you might be right. It is called the Mandalorian. It is focused on Mandalorians. Yeah, Bo Katan's is a Mandalorian, so maybe it's them going back to Mandalore. To figure this thing out. And the Mandalorians themselves have been scattered all all across different planets and different realms. So do they, oh, is, are we going to see a whole gang shot of different Mandalorians with different rocket launchers and visors? Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Possibilities are kind of endless. So, wow. It was really bold what they did. And I, I liked it. Overall, everything was great. I thought it was a great season. The only thing I didn't like about it was the way Luke looked. No, I'm with you, and we both agree that the solution could have been Sebastian Stan, so maybe we'll see him in a future episode. Who knows? I guess so. I guess the decision was, that, like, Mark Hamill's here, he's around, and we have this de-aging technology, but it's obviously not the same de-aging technology. Was it the pandemic? What's going <laughs> on? Mark know. Mark Hamill has a, has a clause in his contract that he has to appear for Luke Skywalker for the next 20 years. I don't know. I mean, who, who, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but whatever. Oh, well. But yes, it was great. Otherwise, maybe they can fix it. They made the t-shirt and jeans guy go away. Oh, they did? Yeah, they shut that down. So maybe they can fix that whenever <laughs> the pandemic's over or if they get money. Can we do a can we do like a crowdfunding to be like, can you do can you get the guy who did Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy to fix this, please? Yeah, I'm I'm like even if they hired the Ant-Man Guardians of the Galaxy guy to like deep fake Sebastian Stan's face on top of it, I think that would almost work better than what we were delivered. But yeah. I'm with you. That's really my only complaint. Uh, I give Mandalorian Season 2 uh, 8 out of 8 slices. I don't know what toppings are on there, but man, I was waiting for it on a weekly basis, and it delivered every time. Yeah, 100%. I'm 8 out of 8 slices too. It probably would have been a Supreme if it wasn't for the Luke thing, so maybe it's... <laughs> Maybe it's just like a pepperoni and or a sausage and pepper or a pepperoni and onion or <laughs> like a two topping, like a meat and a veg. Yeah. Something routine, something daily, but nothing nothing special. But it's the whole pizza, so it is special. So oh. man, it, it was a whole lot of fun. So this is a mega episode. We hope you guys had fun listening to everything. Yes. Um and we want to thank you guys so much uh, for listening and continuing to share the podcast. If you want to hit us up on the social medias, please do at assuming pod on facebook instagram and twitter you can also send us a gmail assuming positions at gmail.com dot com uh, we also want to thank that guy brad for doing our announcing not scott production for equipment jazz R for our music and we hope you guys have a great rest of your week it's almost 2021 let's hope that it's a really good thing 2021 this is the way let's hope this is the way Grogu. <laughs> <laughs>